My name is Michael Shaw. And I'm Michelle Welcher. And this is The Climate Crisis. Nothing prepared me to go actually to the front lines and go out to places like the Great Barrier Reef while it was bleaching or back to Alaska where I used to, places I used to climb and have glaciers I used to literally have to hike across completely gone uh, or to, um, you know, places in the Amazon that were already showing pretty dramatic impacts from drought and things like this and, and really going to these areas and going to them with leading scientists and uh, really each each time really feeling it in my body. You know, I think that was the real gift I got from the book is is in why I, I feel like I've been able to come to a lot more of acceptance of how far along we really are is because I know in my bones how far along we are. That was the voice there of Dajamal, who we had the pleasure of an exclusive interview with. For those of you who don't know Dajamal, he's the author of The End of Ice, Bearing Witness and Finding Meaning in the Path of Climate Disruption, which is now shortlisted for the 2020 Penn Award. And as I've said on this before on this program, it's a book I consider to be a climate classic if there was such a genre and essential reading for anyone who's keeping up to date with what's going on in the environment. Dar's an award-winning journalist and author. He spent more than a year in Iraq as an unembedded journalist, reporting on the Iraqi war from the point of view of the civilian population. He won an Izzy Award for Excellence in Journalism in 2018 for his work there, and he's written for so many magazines, The Guardian, The Independent, The Huffington Post, Truther, among many others. We are very excited to be able to share this interview with you today. Dar is a leading voice in both describing the climate crisis as well as how to live with it. So, Dar, I was lucky enough to spend a bit of time with you at the end of 2019, and it's great to be back in conversation with you. Welcome. You too, Michael. Great to be with you again. So you've been one of the inspirations for me personally and for us, you and the work that you've done for taking the position we take on the climate and the perspective we have. And, and you're one of the very few that travelled around to the hot spots on the planet and met both the scientists there and the Indigenous people there. Can you share a little bit about the situation as you saw it and as you feel it? Well, like so many of us, I was reading all of the news stories about the unravelling of the climate and how rapidly everything was accelerating, all of the change and the loss, and reading, of course, the scientific reports and collating data for the stories I was writing for the internet website I was writing for. And uh, I felt I had a pretty good bead on what was happening and a, a pretty good understanding, but nothing prepared me to go actually to the front lines and go out to places like the Great Barrier Reef while it was bleaching or back to Alaska where I used to places I used to climb and have glaciers I used to literally have to hike across completely gone or to, you know, places in the Amazon that were already showing pretty dramatic impacts from drought and things like this. And and really going to these areas and going to them with leading scientists and uh, really each, each time really feeling it in my body. You know, I think that was the real gift I got from the book is, is in why I, I feel like I've been able to come to a lot more of acceptance of 
how far along we really are is because I know in my bones how far along we are. Whereas uh, before I went to those places, it was just in my head. Mm. And there's a big difference, right? You know, we've heard, mm. you know, the longest distance in the world is from here to <laughs> yeah. from our head to our heart. Mm. And um, the book accelerated that journey for me. And so I really feel in my body where we are to the point where every time it rains now, I'm grateful. Yeah, every time same here, I know same here. that we have a good snowpack in our mountains for water supply, it's like, great, we might make it through another summer without a water crisis. You know, I mean, in speaking with you in Australia, you know, and as we were just talking about that, it just came out that your country lost 20% of its forest in one go. I mean, that's mind bending mm. to really understand what that means. You know, 20% of the forests in a country mm. gone mm. in one go. I mean, that's how fast things are going and to really, so I think that was the gift of the book to me uh, of, of working on it was really getting on a really, really deep, deep level psychologically spiritually um what this means so i know there's people that think yes well that that's we've gone there that far but we can turn it around the green new deal uh you know green politics green industry what are your thoughts on the the people that are hoping for change through through governmental action if you like I really see all that now through, you know, looking at it through the lens of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief. I just see that as people either in the denial phase or in the bargaining phase. Mm -hmm. You know, well, if we do X, Y, and Z, we can still turn it around or dramatically mitigate it, et cetera. Because those beliefs, I mean, it really is fantastic thinking. And I mean fantastic in a literal, literal way. It's really... Yeah, it's Santa Claus thinking, because if you really honestly look at the science and, and then consider all the feedback loops that are kicked in and compounding upon one another already, consider all the heat in the oceans, consider what's already the rates of loss that are already upon us, and then just politically look, okay, let's even put the science aside for a moment and just talk about the political will that would be requisite to have a global coordinated response Mm. to even have something like noticeable mitigation Mm. to the crisis. Uh, It's just not there. Even in the best case scenario of some of the countries in Europe that are, have some of the more ambitious climate goals, that's still laughable Mm. compared to the kind of reaction we should be having right now. Mm. You know, we are in a five alarm fire and uh, nobody's behaving accordingly. And so things like the New Green Deal and things like this, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's we're going we're gonna to stay on the Titanic, but just rearrange the deck chairs a little bit, yeah. maybe get a little bit longer ride out of the deal is, mm-hmm. is the way I see that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess it's hard for people to, like you said, you, your book helped you to feel it in your bones. And here in Australia with the fires and so many, like a billion animals dying, people are really starting to come face to face with, we've got a problem that we may not be able to fix that's not just going to resolve itself. And one of the things you said in your interview yesterday, which I was listening to, was that when you go to these places, you feel like you're saying goodbye and that you have a ceremony of kinds with that. And I was wondering if you'd share a bit about that, because it feels like a beautiful thing to do with the time we have left. 
Well, and in a, in a way, what you just, uh, I'll talk about that in a second, mm. but you in Australia just got, without even having to go anywhere, really a good dose of what I just explained yeah. I got yeah. from working in my yes. book. I mean, you yeah. just live through, yeah. you know, here we are, this is where we are. Yeah. So as a country, in that sense, a silver lining to the tragedy that happened there mm is that um, more folks are getting it probably than ever yeah. really deeply like, okay, here we are, yeah. you know, buckle up. Yeah. And um, I and think, people, you know, for people support, are in shock, I think. Yeah. Around that yeah. Still. Absolutely. Which is part of the process, you know, and then something will be on the other side of that. Mm. Um, probably a lot more acceptance. Mm. And once that sinks in, but you know, for ceremony, it really just simple, basic things. When I was at the great barrier reef, working on my book, I knew that the odds were high. This was probably the last time I would get to see it. And I'd, I'd seen it. I'd been there a few other trips before scuba diving. And so I just just made, made sure I was very conscious of that. Mm. And uh, literally the last time I was out there, and I write about this in the book, where it was my last, I was snorkeling. It was getting towards the end of the day. The boat uh, had, had blown the horn so that we would all come back to the boat to get ready to head back to, to land. And I knew this is probably it. And I got really, really emotional and did a couple of more deep dives and just literally, mm. okay, goodbye, you know, goodbye. And just really, really just being honest about that and, and giving myself that ending instead of pretending like, oh, it's okay. I'll probably get to come back. But, and if something happens and I do get to come back and see it again, that's great. But mm. I think it's important for us to be really conscious of endings yes. and, and be honest about those mm. while we're having them. And this isn't something that's um, typically very honoured in the society that we live in, is it? <laughs> that's an understatement, yeah. Yes. It's all about hope and beginnings and feeling and good it. mainly, isn't it? Yeah. Right, Absolutely. When I die, let the wolves enjoy my bones When I die, let me go When I die, let the wolves enjoy my bones When I die, let me go I just feel too, I mean, one of the things that happened here in the in the area we live in, you know, after the fires, when the floods happened, a lot of the sewerage lines broke 
into the river that runs uh, into Brunswick here. So as I'm seeing that, it's not like it's gone in the same way as the, the reef's not gone, but you're watching it in these steady states of degradation. And it's a little, it's heartbreaking to see it. And there is a tendency to want to put a cover over that and protect yourself somehow. I mean, I just noticed for me, I, I, I go in and I come out of really the deep feelings I have about it. And, you know, I wonder if that's the same for you. Very much so, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that can really just sustain the gaze the, their entire waking life, you know, from sun up to sundown about what's going on. I mean, I, I think I, I, the closest I came to that was being completely engulfed in my book and, you know, mm. being out in the field and living and breathing all the data, doing the research, going and seeing it, taking photographs, doing interviews. And, and I think I'm still kind of in recovery from that, mm. you know, I mean, I, I'm at a point now, and this is why I stepped out of full-time journalism in September is I think I'm still kind of finding a way to have my feet on the ground after that information onslaught and to where I pay attention enough. I understand what's happening. Obviously I was following what was happening in Australia quite closely. For example, the Amazon before that last summer uh, in over here, I, I just can't emotionally take looking at death 24 seven the way I used to. And that's really what it feels like. I mean, as I, uh, mentioned recently, speaking with Jim Bendel, was that I I think self care now becomes extremely important as mm-hmm. part of living on the planet during these times that feel very much like end times uh, so often, and just really taking in enough to know what's going on. But then you know I just feel like now, like look, I, I have the basics. I mean, I understand what's happening, and now it's about how are we going to live during this time and getting really clear about priorities, what's really important, who, who am I living close with and, and are we taking care of each other as we talk about this and kind of live in this together? You know, I think that's really become much more of my focus now instead of like being glued to the internet. Okay. What's, what's happening now. Right. Yeah. I think that's a gift of acceptance. You know, when you start to accept that this is a reality, you can stop fighting it or looking for the solutions and you have an opportunity, you know, to to look at how you're living and what you want to do with the time. It's it's challenging, however, to be in a community that doesn't have that acceptance and to have a government that doesn't have that acceptance Mm. because there's no protections, there's no measures being put into place to make things easier, to to support vulnerable people who will be hit more, you know, smashed by this. And so it's, yeah, it feels a bit strange, you know, to be with an isolated group of friends who maybe see this as the situation, but then to be living in a community that's going on as though business as usual and you can kind of see a train wreck in slow motion. You know, that's how I feel some of the times. I don't know what it's like over there in America or for you. Oh, I bet you can imagine. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have such great leadership. <laughs> oh, yes, we have we have the great leader. We'll be fine. It'll all be fine. The mad um, king, yes. Yeah, it's, it's – you just described it well. I think no matter where you live anywhere in the world now, if you really are, are honestly understand what's happening – there's going to be this disparity and this kind of schizophrenic experience. Yes. I mean, just like 
go to the grocery store, mm. right? I mean, knowing what's happening, you know, a, a new climate refugee somewhere on the planet every two seconds and, you know, oh, but I get to go work in my garden or, you know, I mean, it's like that's part of what it is to be alive during these times and happen to be lucky enough to be born in a certain socioeconomic status in a certain Western country at this particular period of history uh, and not be born to where my family grew up on the Delta in Bangladesh. I mean, it's just blind luck. Right. And, and so knowing what's happening all around the planet and all of these collapsing systems and, and uh, it is, it's, uh, it's, it's really a mind job, right. To like, I, I had a meal earlier with a good friend and we're sitting there eating salmon that was caught by a friend of mine that I then smoked on a, some salad that we grew right here on the land. Sounds and idyllic. Amazing, wonderful meal, knowing coronavirus is spreading like wildfire. People are being burned out of their homes or flooded out of their homes by climate impacts, you know, every day around the world somewhere. I mean, it's, you know, how do you hold all that at the same time? But that's our job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fragility of systems and um, the fragility of life has never felt so large, really, has it? I mean, we've spoken about a few things around this, but one of the things that I love of yours that I've carried with me since we spoke about it was the idea of really listening to the earth in terms of what we do with ourselves in these times, of really listening to the earth and uh, taking our marching orders from the earth. And I know you're one of the people in my mind that does that more than almost anyone I know but I'd love to hear you talk about that and uh, just explain what you mean by that listening to the earth well thank you for that very high compliment um I I don't know that I deserve it but thank you um (laughs) you know it's again kind of like how we talked about ceremony I mean it sounds maybe like a, a a more fancy formal situation than than when in reality it's just a very pragmatic experience and and similarly listening to the earth i mean the best ideas that have come to me for work or relationship choices etc they always come to me when i'm out in the mountains and so the idea to do the end of ice it came to me uh when i was up in the olympic mountains i mean when i decided to go report on the iraq war it came to me when i was in the mountains in alaska so that to me you know i go out into the mountains that's my favorite place to go in nature and i just i get into the kind of the awe and the respect and the perspective that comes from being way out in the middle of nature in in such a way and it really makes me kind of right-sized and all of the bullshit of everyday modern life is left behind. And I'm just out there in it, um, usually for two or three days at a time. And I, I more often than not now, I am tending to do more trips by myself. And I used to go and bring music or books, or cetera. But most of the time now, I'll just go and bring a journal mm-hmm. and nothing else, you know, aside from my gear and just just be with it. And then, and then when I'm just really out there, literally just enjoying it, then ideas come to me and you you know how it is when you get a really, really good idea and it's like, yep, this is, this is the one, you know? And so that's what I mean. That's what it feels like to me when I, when I listen. I loved what you said then about becoming right-sized and uh, I know what you mean, but I'd love you to expand a little bit on that. Well, I mean, 
you know, especially here in the U.S. and I think in in so much of Western capitalist consumer-based culture, it's there's this over-focus on the self, right? Like you're always, you're so important and whatever you want, you can have. And it's always I, 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 me, me, me. And it's the opposite of a more indigenous perspective, which is, you know, our primary obligations are to serve the earth and, excuse me, to serve future generations. And um, when I go out into nature, it just really brings that into focus because, you know, especially going out and doing something maybe a little bit more arduous than, you know, you realize what your limitations are real quickly. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you get uh, beyond those, or if I put myself in a position where uh, I'm in over my head, I could very easily die. You know what I mean? So you, you, another way to put it is, you know, remembering whose boss is very easy in those situations, you know, like when I used to spend a lot of time on Denali, you know, if I'm in my tent and there's 90 mile an hour winds outside at 17,000 feet and it's already minus 30 degrees, that's pretty humbling. Right. And so you get right size pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's great too, uh, when you were talking about that process of going into nature and just really listening, a great way to, find your internal compass when around us we have a very what I would see as a sick culture you know some of the ideas that we live out are are very harmful and destructive but we also now have a lot of fear in the environment and a lot of reactivity so you know I I really like what you said about withdrawing from that and coming back to some sense of truth and reality that oh this is who I am survival the the basics and the simple things I think it's, it's so beautiful well, yeah, and another way to put it uh, without, it's not requisite on, you know, going far far out into nature mm-hmm. that sometimes might take more time and money or something. But literally earlier today, I was walking with a very, very close friend, just taking a dog for a walk and through all, all the forest right here where I live. And we both acknowledged that even just that, just mm-hmm. some kind of time and experience out in nature, in this case, just in a, in a bunch of trees, uh, if I don't do this on a daily basis, I, I spiral out really quickly these days because what's happening on the planet is terrifying mm. and it is enraging mm. and it's shocking mm. and it's completely overwhelming and traumatizing. Mm. But what, what never fails to ground me is just regular time out in nature, even if it's just half an hour a day going for a little walk through some trees. Mm. And it's also that process, um, which I've heard you talk about before, like if you knew someone was dying, you'd want to spend time with them, you know, in these precious moments. You know, without a doubt, it's very hard for me to envision that humans make it through this climate crisis that we have caused. Mm. Uh, Although I wouldn't say for sure humans are going extinct just because not to give hope or false hope, but just, you know, I have to personally maintain enough humility to say, look, the, the earth is this massive complex mm-hmm. thing and we just don't know what could happen. And humans are extremely creative and, and can be, uh, uh, you know, find our ways through some pretty thick situations. So who knows? I mean, maybe a small group of people persist for quite a while. Who knows? Um, but I think what is without a doubt is that we're on a doorstep of billions of people are going to be leaving the planet. I think very, very clear. Um, but when, who knows for sure, you know, and, 
And so uh, as far as the whole entire biosphere uh, completely collapsing or the whole planet turning into Venus, maybe, I mean, he may be right. I, I don't know. I don't personally, I'm not going to make any predictions, but, um, but I think um, what's, what's very, very real is that, uh, for example, I titled my book, The End of Ice. I didn't really quite mean that literally for the entire planet when I, when I came up with that title or when that title came to me, but now it looks like that might be pretty accurate. Um, the book has, is turning out to be far more prophetic than I ever intended or consciously meant it to be. Uh, and, and the trajectories I talked about in the book about what, what's happening to biodiversity, to loss of ice, to loss of forests, to droughts, wildfires, floods, you know, you name it, permafrost. It's, it's all happening right on schedule. Actually, that's incorrect. It's happening far, far more accelerated. Yes. Yeah, even than, since I was with you in November, Da. Do you know right. Well, yeah. and, I mean, another way to put it, so um, right when the book came out in uh, January of 2019, Smithsonian Magazine did a review of it, and there, they, it was overall a, a positive review, but their one critique was, oh, well, but Jamail tends to always go to the worst case scenarios on all of these projections. Okay. Uh, 11 months later, this past December, the Smithsonian rated the book in their top 10 science books of 2019. Mm -hmm. I didn't change a thing, right? <laughs> the earth did exhibited what we have done to the earth. And there's your proof right there. Yeah. that I you know loved in reading the book is that you cover the science very thoroughly and you get um, reports back from indigenous and local people in those areas and the, and the second part of your title ending ice uh, finding me bearing witness and finding meaning in the face of climate disruption I feel like you're one of the most powerful voices talking to that aspect of this as well and one of the things that you've said I, I, I in fact, now I'm thinking it might have been Stan that said it, but you might have said it too, that, that about uh, Stan Rushworth, that is, but the, the difference between the rights we feel as humans versus the sacred obligations. And 
how we need to come back to that, even at this time, even when things are falling apart, or especially now when things are falling apart. Especially, you just said it, yeah. I mean, because, you know, it gets down to another thing that Stan Rushworth, who's a Native American elder that uh, Michael's interviewed and Stan and I are very close, and and I quote him in my book, and uh, he, he talks about how are we going to comport ourselves during this time. If this is, say, all the worst case scenarios are, are true and, you know, humans are on the way out in short order, it still comes down to how are we going to behave? Mm. How are we going to treat other people? Mm. To use a, a, a very overused analogy, you know, on the Titanic, there were people that just, you know, hey, this is the Titanic. It's impossible to sink this thing. Let's go to the bar, um, which, you know, we see those. Basically, that's who's running our, our respective countries right now. And then there's some people that are just running around freaking out in panic, just light your hair on fire and run around in circles. Mm. And then there's people that are trying to help elderly and children and sick people onto the boats, or can we build more boats, you know? I mean, which it's a time in history where how do you want to behave? Which of those people do you want to be? Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a strong contemplation and it's getting on top of those kind of, uh, those immediate, fear-driven responses yeah. and coming back inside mm. and remembering something bigger for me, bigger than my life, bigger than something bigger than myself, I guess. Right. I mean, and it also comes down to that, you know, I, it's, I've, I've heard it's a, a saying, you know, are we going to be the kind of people that plant trees that we'll never sit under? Yes. You know, but that yes. maybe a future generation of some species will... Or use. I mean, when I when I was in the deepest despair, uh, actually before I started the the field work on my book, but I had all this data, and I was in a residency, and it was for the first time it was all in front of me, and I was like, why even do this book? It's mm. so we are mm. so off the cliff, mm. you know. And then a, a friend of mine who's a, a Zen teacher, Nick Terry's his name. He he came over for tea, and we were talking, and I shared my despair with him, and he says, you know, Dar. If the only thing, if you write this book and the only thing that happens is that some tiny organism in the Amazon gets one more week of life because of it, mm-hmm. then it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And that really reframed it to me. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's, that's the kind of higher cause that I need to be <clears throat> aiming at. And, and that's actually a reasonable one that might even be attainable. But mm-hmm. point being is it comes back to that. Are we going to be of service or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such it's such a true thing for these times. And what occurs to me is, for me personally and, and friends of mine, what's in the way of that is just the emotional process they have to go through. And just all those reactions, like Michael said before, just the fear and the shock and then the wanting to just block it out or, or do nothing, just to fall into despair. What's the point of doing anything? It feels like the biggest emotional thing that we've had to deal with as a species, really, you know, when you really face it. Mm. I just wondered, for your journey, you seem to have been sitting with it longer and seem to be somewhere along. What's helped you and how has that journey been for you? Well, I, I think it's it's important to note, especially to anybody listening to this that is is more on the front end of just kind of coming to terms with all of this. I need to add with humility that... I'm in a pretty good place of acceptance the majority of time today. That means 
not all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have my own struggles. I still sometimes need to check out. I still sometimes get really depressed or full of rage. Yes. Um, but the humility part comes in that I've been reporting on the climate for a decade. Mm-hmm. And I spent three years intensively working just on the book mm-hmm. of going to all these places around the world with leading scientists, mm-hmm. sitting with the data for months at a time, writing it all up, editing it. And it's at the end only of that process. And then the book coming to press last January or coming to be published. And, and it took me that whole nine years basically to get to a point where I can say, yeah, the majority of the time today, I have some kind of equilibrium with mm-hmm. it. And, and, and in that sense, I think other people have a harder go of it mm-hmm. than me. Right. Because I kind of got fast tracked mm-hmm. and yet it still took me that long to get to a point and all that work to get to a point where, yeah, I know when I'm off track and I know what I need to do to get back on track. And what, have, what are some of those things that you do? What supports you? Um, we talked about it a little bit, you know, time in nature every day mm-hmm. is mandatory, uh, a meditation practice, yes. basic self-care stuff like getting enough sleep, eating right. Uh, and then another critical part is having somebody that I'm very close to and trust that really understands what's happening and we can regularly yes. talk and yes. process. Yes. Yes. Um, hey, did you see this? Yes. And yeah, earlier I was doing it like I, yes. you know, a friend came over for lunch and I just said, I am effing enraged right now mm. at how these people, they just, they just hate life. They're not, you know, they, you know, how they react to the coronavirus or how their, their blatant disregard for the environment regarding what's happening politically in your country, even in the wake of the wildfires. Yes. It's yes. sometimes, it, you know, I, it, it makes me feel murderous yes, me uh, and I need to process me that. Wouldn't it be, well, actually, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be feeling healthy if I wasn't feeling murderous some of the time in this particular right. setup. I don't think that'd be a sane response. But uh, just to finish there, I, as something that I, I, I mentioned a bit earlier, but something that I really do respect in, in who you are, you wrote that book, you spent you know, 10 years writing that book. You got a lot of recognition and you're still getting recognition uh, on that book. I mean, what is, you got a, you, you're on the shortlist for the Pen Award now. But pretty soon after you finished it, you decided to leave journalism because a different pull, a different call. And I, I love how you listen to yourself in that way and follow that knowing. I don't know if you've got anything to say about that, to, you know, to wrap up here. Well, and that led me to uh, Stan Rushworth, who we spoke of earlier, that, you know, I'm very hopeful that my next project will be co-authoring a book with him about indigenous perspectives on what's happening. Because I think it's time that whatever our personal philosophies or spiritual practices are, it's, you know, we, we better damn well deepen them. We're going we're gonna to need a really, really deep, heavy ballast going into the, these storms. And so for me, that's what this project, this, my next project would be about, you know, so there's a selfish motive for it as well as hoping to bring some of this wisdom to light because it seems like something that people could really benefit from right now. Dar, I think that's all we've got time for. And it's a shame because I could keep talking to you for a lot longer. Yeah, it's Um, been so helpful. Yeah. yeah, Everything you've shared. Yeah, Yeah. wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank thank you both. We'll have to do it again. Yes. Yes, Yes, we will. All right. 